Get ready to listen. Okay, let's play. Get ready to listen. Block by block Chicago. Block by block Chicago. Block by block Chicago. My name is Tia Dietrayan. My name is Dani Deverna. I'm Monica Cosby. Hi, y'all. Thank you for doing this, and thank you for respecting my boundaries, asking me about them in the door. Like, I like that shit. I think we can do better about consent and talking about what it means, right? Respecting people's space. Thank you. Right, no problem. Um, so can you please just give us um, an overview about what your panel was about and what necessarily problem it was facing or what the issue was? Okay, it um it actually wasn't my panel. I have a friend and comrade and sister and everything who is currently locked up in Decatur Correctional Center here in Illinois, who was supposed to be presenting at this conference and she had she previous to this had permission from the wardens to do that, assured that they had the equipment and the technical know-how and all of that to be able to present via video conferencing and it was snatched away at the last minute with no reason, no nothing. Just, nope, you don't get to do it. You got to figure it out, right? And so, because she is my friend and I'm on her call list, we used my phone so that she could present for 30 minutes, and she left us a couple of questions. So we were talking about, Sandra presented on education in prison and something that she calls identicide, the ways in which our identities are taken from us and destroyed and killed, right? Um, as women, as women of color in particular, in a system that is inherently violent, down to stripping away of identity in the form of strip searches, lack of access to education, lack of communication, right? Like our communication is entirely controlled by the prison. Our mail is decided, you know, whenever they get to it, if in fact we get our mail, right? Um, even phone calls, like you have to submit a list and it has to be approved um, and it can be taken away like that. It's decided for you who gets to come and visit you. Like, you have to fill out a list, and then they have to approve every person, um, all of that. So the ways in which just living there on a daily subject, even if you're not never strip searched, but you, the knowing that it can happen to you at any point, right? The way that they come and shake down the rooms, whether it's the tag team, which we call Orange Crush here in Illinois, or just the regular just bunch of CEOs coming and shake down your room, even if it doesn't happen on a given day, but we always know it can at any time, right? Um, all of that, all of that strips away, it kills identity. Right. You know, it's just a constant, constant abuse. And how do we, how do we continue to grow and continue to dream and build who we are, right, under a constant, 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 never-ending assault? How do you think they um, sexualize, but also at the same time dehumanize the women while they are doing these um, strip searches and shakedowns in the room? Like, what kind of what kind of mental impact do you think that has on them? We're all coming out of prison with post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, we have it while we're there. Like, it's not even post. It's like D during <laughs> traumatic stress syndrome. Um, but the ways in which we are sexualized and 
so I'm gonna I'm gonna call it sexual violence, right? And we've actually Sandra and I have talked about this while while in prison, but you were I'm calling with her. Yes. Okay. So this is the dopest person on the planet. Hope y'all get a chance to meet her one day. Um, I'm gonna cry. I miss her so much. So in talking about prisons as inherently sexual sexual violence, it is the level of control they have over us. So there's an IDOC rule that says that me and another prisoner can have no physical contact. Like, obviously, we're not supposed to have sex, but we're not supposed to hug each other. Sandra's, Sandra is my friend. My dad died like two weeks before I got out, a little less than two weeks before I got out, and she went to hug me, and we both almost got a ticket because we can't, we're not supposed to have any kind of physical contact. We're not supposed to be human there. Right. But while this is going on, while our, our, even our bodies are so controlled that we can be strip searched, that we, that is decided for us who is allowed to touch us at the same time, there's been umpteen lawsuits and umpteen officers charged with, in Illinois, they call it custodial sexual misconduct, which is like the nice name for rape, I suppose. But, you know, um, and while it's commonly understood there can be no consent, they still argue consent. So we can't have consensual sex with each other in the prison. But they can but the police can, because they don't get in trouble for it. You know, they may be dismissed or transferred to another institution, but but ain't nobody going to jail for that shit, much less, you know, fired. Maybe here and there, but in the grand scheme of things, there is no kind of justice for those of us that are inside when this happens. And this happens all the time. This is the reality of prison. Prison is sexual violence. Um, if it's okay, I can ask you some personal questions, or not 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 as too personal, but like about your experience while being in there, yeah. so that we can like just expose the whole grand scheme of it. Um, so, while being in there, what were some of the um, most trying or most difficult day to day challenges you had, or like like were there any instances where they denied you your commentary, or were they? Oh yeah, shit like that happens all the time. Um, How did you deal with your period? I can't. So I had to threaten to sit on the CO's desk one day and bleed all over his desk so he he would bring some pads to the unit, right? Some sanitary napkins to the unit. Because, like, they'll give you one bag every 28 days, I think it is. But most women come on, like, from 21 to every 21 to every 45 days. So if you're getting, like, one bag of pads every 30 days, it's not always going to be in sync with your cycle. And then we all know as women, you know, if somebody leaves and somebody new comes, then our cycles are changing again. We sync up. That's how our bodies work. Um, So then it's never going to be on schedule with when the prison says we get our pads. So trying to get more pads is just like a big problem. We're told to buy them on commissary, but commissary is not something that you can just run to. Like we out here can just run to the corner store real quick. Mm -hmm. That's not what commissary is in the prison. It is the prison store, but we don't just get to go there. You know, you have to fill out a slip several days in advance. And then when you get there, if the thing that you wanted or that you found out that you needed was not on your slip, on your commissary slip that you filled out, the day that you get to go to commissary, then depending on the mood of the commissary staff, you're not going to be able to add anything to your list, right? And because we have such a small space in which to keep stuff, because I know there's going to be somebody somewhere going to be like, well, why don't you just buy an extra bag and just keep them? We have so little room. We have a box that's about 
y'all can't see me, but I'm showing you like what size the box is. Like, uh, it's like about two feet long. This wide, like this, yeah. and about this high. It's like just a foot off the floor. And yeah. It's just like a tiny baby drawer. And that's got to hold our hygiene products, um, our state issue clothing, and the one or two pair of gray sweatsuits that we are allowed to buy, um, t shirts, paint, like that kind of stuff. Um, and the comments, and there's like, very, to somebody who doesn't realize, that might look like a lot of room, but it's actually not, especially if you're trying to keep everything that you need because you only get to shop for 30 days or like you only get to shop every 30 days or something. So you've got to be able to fit your like whole entire penitentiary life in there. Pictures of your kids, mail from home, you know, whatever. Like it all has to fit in that box. Right. Um, that just trying to squeeze your life in a box it's like is all the time is trying. And they do something called compliance checks. Like they will come through the cells and make sure after every count, especially after 7 a.m. count, to make sure that you're in compliance. That's what they call it, in compliance. If you have anything out that's not allowed to be out, like you can keep one bar of soap out at any given time, and there's like a little list of things that you can leave out of your box. Mm -hmm. If you have anything that's not on that little tiny list of things that you can keep out of your box, they're taking that shit, and they're probably writing you a ticket, which is a disciplinary action that they take against you. So... I mean, it's a, like when I say it's a constant assault, it's like that's what it is. There are specific incidents, you know, that I've seen or that have happened to me, but it's it's every day, right. you know, it's every day. It's challenging. It's completely challenging. It's fucked up. Yeah. So um, how long have you known Sandra? Yeah, on a podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fine. Like, we, want, we want the raw, unedited version because the people that are going to be listening out there, they didn't sit in, we didn't sit in. We want to learn as they learn. So it's it's all your story. We can't edit your story. We can't tell you how you lived in there. We can't tell you how they treated you. We can't tell you how to be you. So it's, and we don't want to, we're not saying how to be you as in that's you, but we want to, we want to make sure your story is heard so that this whole criminalization and the prison system can be exposed for what it actually is. So a lot of times this is, um, you'll have whatever CEO or civilian staff because their civilian staff does this shit too. Um, If the only way that I have to talk to my children who I haven't seen in a few years is on the phone, and because there's only four phones on the deck for like 160 people and there's only three hours a day that you get to, that the phones are open for use, 90 minutes on one shift and 90 minutes on another shift, and you got 160 people, 100 of which are vying for the phone, you might not be able to get to the phone. So if you've got a CO that's coming to you and he's going, well, hey, if you go, you know, help me clean out the supply closet, which really means just, you know, let me go get a blowjob or hit that or whatever, right? A woman might say, yeah. That's being in compliance to survive. Survival for her at that time is being able to talk to her children. It's manipulative. You know, and it's on his part, not hers. I, I want that to be clear, you know, because he comes, you know what I'm saying? And so for a woman saying yes to survive, that's not a freely given consent by any fucking means, right? Right. Um, 
So like it'll be under those kinds of circumstances or other circumstances. Well, I found this contraband in your room, but I ain't gonna write you a ticket if, right? Um, circumstances like that. Or I'll make sure like you get extra trays for two weeks or whatever it is, whatever it is. It's a type of blackmail, you know? Um, it is a type of blackmail and just even making that approach just even making that approach is fucked up. Even people right? think you can do that. And that, but that's the problem. Like, they're obviously entitled to do that. This has been, this ain't no new shit. Nothing about this is new, you know? Um, so because none of this is new, there is that sense of entitlement. But I can do whatever I want. And I know there's going to be no repercussions because my bros got my back that work in the prison. I can't write you a ticket if you say no to having some kind of sex with me, but the guy I go fishing and drinking with can, so that's what's gonna happen. And it happens all the time. Yeah. You know, I wanna be clear, I am an abolitionist, you know what I'm saying, so, but there are, that being said, there are some things I wrestle with, you know, because there is a very significant part of myself that sometimes I want them to feel hurt too, you know. And that's that's normal, like when you are when you're physically or mentally hurt, like sometimes we don't just want the best for you. We don't want you to just be on with your life and get better. No, you want revenge or you just want I want you to feel this type of hurt yeah. that you made me and feel. I can't do that because then that's me replicating the system that I'm trying to abolish, right? right? But what I would like to see happen is for the women that, his, that this has happened to, they get to decide what happens to this person, you know? Right. I think that's what justice is. Like, those of us that have been victims, and I will also say most women in prison, you can, like, do the studies yourself, but most women in prisons are survivors of all kinds of sexual violence and domestic violence, often over the course of their lifetimes. And so to wind up in their prison and repeat the same dynamic is <laughs> even more traumatizing. Right. And the fact that we do as best as we can to still survive that in some kind of way doesn't get to be judged by anybody out here. And I think the only people out here that can really, really under or come close to understanding what it's like to be in prison are people who have been right. abused in relationships. as like an alternative to prisons like what do you think could happen like because prisons are terrible and they're a power structure that only benefit one side and they just oppress the other side so as an alternative to prisons or just a different type of permanently affordable fucking housing access to mental health care and reproductive health care right get some birth control pills for men um education and I'm not saying access to education like that would be cool but I'm saying education that's just freely available and respected education of all kinds because education and scholarship is not necessarily attached to an institution right so the ways that we educate ourselves should always be accepted and respected you know what I'm saying and more has to be available like right there I should just be able to go right down the street I shouldn't have to be on 76 in Union and be on the bus for like an hour and a half on the bus in the L trying to come to school someplace else in the city. So you think there should be more educational 
like resources there put yeah. in place. All of that. So all of that. So in um inside the money that we're spending on prisons and police could be and should be because we're de- it's a deliberate in- disinvestment in fucking poor communities of color. That's what the fuck it is. We all know this. Put that shit back. Right, because the education system is a direct pipeline to um, the prison system. So do you think that... We have to the understand that there are all those direct pipelines to the prison system, they're all connected. So if we think of like the school-to-prison pipeline, trauma-to-prison pipeline, drugs-to-prison pipeline, all these other pipelines that are up here, they all work together. They're not disconnected. All of these things work we're together. Sure they act as here. a funnel into the system we have to disrupt that disrupt that shit so when you are in prison do you think there should be better educational systems that are in place to make sure that when you get out you have a a like a chance to like be put back into society with a leg up since you were already there and think about what we're saying back into society um i was just having this conversation with sandra earlier this morning before this because we were talking about that and i was like wait a minute because we're still in society you just sectioned you know yeah we're sectioned off but we're still in society you know what i'm saying we're not some otherworldly beings from like this other dimension you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it like, feels like that though for us sometimes. Yeah, like, I know. but it's actually not. So we're still a part of the society, and I just want people to like really think about that. Everybody that's in prison now, nobody formed fully. You know, nobody just sprouted into being on a prison bunk. We all came from out here somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And most people that are in prison now are coming back, and we're still a part of society while we're gone because look who all we left behind. We left moms and dads and husbands and wives and daughters and brothers and sisters and friends. You know. We're still a part of the society. We're in there wondering, worrying about who we left behind. We're hoping for them and we're dreaming for them. And we're writing them letters and we're making them art to send to them. You know what I'm saying? We're mm-hmm. still a part of society. We can't we can't keep saying come back to society. What we can say is call it what it is, getting out of prison. Right. But we're still a part of society. Yeah. I, I tend to pick on language a little bit too much. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's, it's your feelings. It's how you were interpreted. It's you endured something that not many people can um, can see from your perspective, and your perspective is important so that those who haven't seen it can understand like the actual like day to day life in there. And I didn't mean uh, in society as in anything offensive, but. No, I know. Yeah. I because I've said that too. I just didn't even think about this what I just said. I didn't even think about this shit until this morning. You know, maybe it sat in the back of my mind somewhere, but I didn't like consciously think of it until this morning. The ways that we think about it and then I'll, and then I began to think because a lot of the things that happen out here happen in prison too. We build Sandra's my girl. That's my dog. Like we build relationships with each other. We cook for each other, and we talk about uh, we talk about men. We talk about women. We watch TV shows. We read books together and talk about what we read. Like people do that out here. We create lives for ourselves in the prison as best as we can. It's the so same thing that happens out here. Yeah, you know, right. it, it's that's why there's like not really that big of a separation. We're just. As people of color, and particularly as poor folks of color, 
we're always under siege. And in prison, it's, well, it's obvious out here, but in prison, it's, like, super duper fucking obvious. You know what I'm saying? But it's not, it's not the same, but it is the same in so many ways. I hope that makes sense. When thinking about the power you necessarily or don't have outside of prison and how you definitely don't have it inside of prison or how you have it but you just can't implement it and yeah, we can't it, flex. Right. Or it's just taken away from you. How how does that cause like a strain on you? Like when you want to go to sleep at this time or you want to go here but you can't and that um sense of freedom that are taken away and how your sense of citizenship is necessarily put on hold while you're in there how does that how does that cause like us in, how does that cause like mental issues like it fucking hurts like it's enraging but it it's also hurts you know what i'm saying um it, it hurts the spirit like it's an almost physical pain like sandra and i i remember walking around in the yard with sand you know, my girl, Sandra, um, and we would walk and we would talk. And one day we just stopped and we were just looking at the fence. And then the guy in the tower was like, why are you looking at the fence? The CEO in the tower, you know, and we're like, fuck, like we can't even be on the rec yard, you know, cause we were looking past the fence. Like we were looking at the fence, but we were looking past the fence. Like one day we gonna be on that other side. And even that moment that we're supposed to have some kind of freedom within there, was taken for us by a fucking asshole sitting in, in the guard tower, you know? Um, like, it's everything is so restricted and it hurts all the time. But there's always these, I think that the thing that helps, I guess, with that is that feeling of always being under siege is our responses to it. Like, there's all kinds of ways in which we resist, like, really, really big ways that we resist in all kinds of little individual and collective actions right. where we're resisting. So, I don't know if everybody would use that language, but that's what we do, and that's a reclamation of our humanity and of our power. Like, it is the way that Sandra and I love each other, right? And our relationship is not sexual. That is my friend. That is, she is so much more than my friend, right? She's my friend, and she's my mentor. She's the dopest poet on this earth, um, among many dope poets, but, like, she's the dopest. Um, she, she's, we, it, it's the relationships that we have with each other you know um it is the woman that i call my wife um it's the relationships that we have with each other and the way that we take care of each other when we can like even for those of us that don't like each other mm -hmm. right so there might be somebody that i'm beefing with but you know no, that sense of like yeah. some kind of solidarity of like, you know to together yeah it's like, like and it might be so i might be coming like walking past her on the unit and I saw her just get off the phone and she's looking all crazy by the face because like she's clearly upset something went on I don't really like her I don't really fuck with her for whatever reason but I'm kind of cool with people who do so I might not say nothing to her but I'm gonna go to her peeps and I'm gonna be like hey you know your girl out there looking like maybe something happened you should go see about her like and that's what we do we check on each other or we send people to check on each other you know it's, it's like all of those things so it's whatever the problem is it's it's not you and that person against the against each other it's you and that person against the problem 
Well, there are times when it's been me and that person against each other. But I'm also like, at the same time, I might not like an individual or an individual may not like me, but I'm going to snap if I see the police fucking with them, you know? Right. Police being, like, in the prison, we say when we go to seg- segregation or solitary confinement, we call it jail. Um, and we also call the COs the police, right? So in the prison, we don't want to see the police fucking with nobody. We're going to be pissed, even if we don't like an, another individual woman that's in prison with us for whatever reason there may be. And it may be like a legitimate beef. It may it may just be a personality conflict, whatever it is. But we're not gonna. There's if fifty of us see what happened, fifty of us are gonna write the grievance, even if we don't like her because that's the guy that hates all of us. Right. You know what I'm saying. If you don't mind sharing, like, you can, you don't have to, it can be edited out. Like, have you ever, like, been in solitary confinement? Mm -hmm. And, like, how was that, like, experience? Like, how long were you I already wrote about it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So there's an article in Truth Out from a year or two ago that you can find about solitary confinement. And there's a lot of great stuff already out there about solitary confinement um, and the ways that it's used to control the population, the prison population. So... Like, you can find all that. I can send you some links to some stuff if you like. But I just, you know, when I talk about, at sometimes I just get tired of talking about prison because a lot of times when I'm talking about it, I can feel everything I felt then and I'm feeling it now. And it's, it's like, it's not understandable. a good It's I'm completely sorry. understandable. It's a really, um, it's a really severe, like, experience that you have and nobody's going to push you to like talk about this because you are more than just your prison sentence your prison sentence <laughs> and I am so much more than that you know Sandra is all of us are you know I'm a mom I'm a grandma I got four grandkids <laughs> and my grandchildren are the most amazing beings like they're so spooky smart Sandra and I were talking one day because I was telling her about my grandkids and how smart they are. And I couldn't decide if they were smarter than my own kids were at that age or even than I was at that age. Or is there something different in the way that we're parenting now where we get, where, like, I'm 50, right? So I came up in a time where children are to be seen and not heard. You know what I'm saying? And all of that kind of stuff where, yes, you have to kiss Uncle So-and-so, Right, and so my daughter doesn't do that with my kid. So with it's more of their choice now. Yeah, yeah. So the first time my youngest granddaughter, I went, I was like, you know, give Grandma Monica a kiss, and she was like, no, no, Grandma Monica, with the whole, and I was like, oh, okay, I respect your and space. Like, yeah, and I was brokenhearted because my grandbaby didn't want to give me a kiss and a hug, but also I was like, she knows what the fuck consent is, <laughs> you know, and I went and told my daughter, and my daughter talked about it. She was like, yeah, and then I felt horrible because I wish that somebody had taught me and I wish because she was seven when I got locked up my oldest daughter the mother of my grandchildren I wish that I, I knew enough then to teach her but that somehow she found it anyway to be able to teach my grandkids gives me so much hope I'm so proud of my baby I am I'm so proud of my baby and my grandkids they're the dopest I'm gonna show them to you. I know y'all can't see it on the thing, but <laughs> so um, even though like she found that guidance and 
how do you think um do you think um how do I word this do you think that that necessarily teaching their children the way she did do you think that's an improvement in today's like parenting system or like today's like society of how we necessarily like teach our kids about how they have full possession of their bodies and yeah. how they don't necessarily have to do anything they don't want to do yeah. family or not like yeah i do this is my daughter it's my oldest daughter <laughs> that's her and her granddaughter or that's her and my granddaughter that's her oldest daughter and when my daughter was that age she looked exactly like that <laughs> i'm trying to find out my grandkids Oh, that's my youngest daughter. That's my youngest grandbaby. That's the one who didn't want to give me no kiss. Oh. Here's the other one. She looks so much like me. It's ridiculous. And her name is Monica, too. So. That's my mom and my daughters. Making me so proud. I am. It's, I don't even know how to describe the feeling of leaving when she was seven and coming back and now I have grandchildren. So how long were you um I was incarcerated for 20 years. This this December will be 3 years that I've been out. So how um how did how did you reconnect with your children? Like were you writing to them consistently or were they all like did you keep consistent contact? I wrote all the time. Sometimes they would write back and sometimes they wouldn't. Um Sometimes my mom wouldn't give them the letters deciding, you know. Oh, see, this is my daughter, my oldest daughter when she was a baby, and this is my granddaughter when she was younger. Don't they look the same? Yes. Isn't that some amazing stuff? That's so cute. Um, so was it um, necessarily an easy transition, like just – coming back oh, into no. their lives? No. Were no. they um, a little distant? Like, were they like... It was very hard. Um, my daughter, for as amazing she is, she is. She's hard-headed, and so am I. She gets that shit from me. Like, she gets it honest, and it comes from my mom and my dad, you know. Um, and then there's just a lot of anger, hurt, and resentment there, you know. Um, but we tried all the time. We never stopped trying. But sometimes that means, like, I need a couple of weeks, you know. But my daughter got me my phone when I got out to make sure that we can get a touch. And we have this morning routine that we do almost every morning um, that I got from my mom, that my mom probably got from her mom, right? So I grew up doing having coffee in the morning and talking with my mom. So whether she's, like, staying with us for a month or two with me and my partner or if she's, you know, at her house, we still talk on the phone in the morning over coffee and a cigarette and like that's my kid you know and it just it i like that continuum that connection that continuum of connection i guess oh what is this go off <laughs> okay um so thank you for all your time we really appreciate it um no problem. thank you for answering the question I just want to get the fact that her shirt say black women are the new target for mass incarceration Oh yeah, the yeah. new the new Jane, Jane Crow. Crow. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that is dope actually. Thank yeah. you, thank you so much. You're welcome. That was intense. I'm a silent listener. <laughs> <laughs> Observe. <laughs>
Thank you so much. This audio piece was developed by Sojourner Scholars and Block by Block. These presentations were part of the Imagining America Conference 2018 in Chicago. Contributed as correspondents and producers for this podcast, Tia DeTrion and Anissa Collins. <laughs>